scripture reading today is taken from Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. Verses 1 to 17. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does this. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called uh, Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he stood up and touched the bearer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave, to his mother, gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, friends. It's good to welcome you to this service. I want to thank Pastor Ollie for leading our service. Grateful for Joy and Daniel in their leading of our worship. As you can tell, we are not worshiping this morning in our building. It's not our preference. Uh, we love to gather as God's flock, but we are grateful that you are here this morning and pray that our hearts will be strengthened as we gather around his word. After several weeks of being in the book of Isaiah, we are now returning to our theme for 2020 that we have imagined a year ago would be a radical dependence. That's what we were hoping for, not knowing that God would provide us the best opportunity likely in our lifetimes to be more radically dependent upon him. This morning we are returning to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7. And our theme for today is the authority of his word. 
Now, um, some of you know that I have a friend who lives in a nearby country and he loves to come to Singapore. And he comes here often, but every time without fail that he arrives here and one of the first things he says to me is, I'm always afraid while I'm in Singapore that I might be breaking the law somehow. It's not like the country in which he lives doesn't have laws, and it's not like he is at greater risk of breaking laws here in Singapore, because the laws are the same and the man is the same. The only actual difference is enforcement. In Singapore, we tend to enforce our laws, and he's used to living in a place where, you know, stop sign is kind of a recommendation. Hopefully people stop, sometimes they don't. Because in much of the world, lady justice is depicted as being blind, blind justice. But in Singapore, lady justice has eyes wide open and she is always looking at me. Now I'm not sure if you've thought about this or not, but laws and the enforcement of those laws are a reflection of biblical truth. I wonder if you remember how Eugene last week pointed us back to the Old Testament when he looked at Exodus chapter 34 and he reminded us that God said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, meaning that though he is merciful and gracious, he is also righteous. And so we know that God enforced the law during Passover. Blood was shed on Good Friday. But the good news is that by Easter Sunday, Grace and mercy broke out of the grave, which is why we like to call it Resurrection Sunday. Now, um, I have been thinking about the enforcement of law here in Singapore, um, and I'm reminded that enforcement has a tendency to expose in my heart my personal allegiances. I love liberty. And I kind of like my resources. And both my liberty and my resources can, can be threatened when the law is enforced because there is enforcement of what? Jail and fines. We are accustomed to that. We recognize that's always a possibility. And we, all of us, need enforcement because we, all of us, have power. Now, three and a half weeks ago, I had an unexpected illustration of this. This was back when we could all still go to our offices. And I was driving home from the church office, coming out of the tunnel that leads to the ECP. And as soon as I got into the exit or the on-ramp to the ECP, it suddenly was just like a, a parking lot. I had no idea what was happening. I was just stuck in the car, turned on the BBC, tried to entertain myself. I was frustrated because honestly, as many of my uh, dear friends know, I have an addiction to impatience. But here I was, stuck in this car, slowly inching along, finally made it to the ECP. It was utter chaos. 
And the whole time I'm calculating, looking at both mirrors to see if I can just get a few meters ahead, but it was so packed, I had to just stay in this queue. And then I thought to myself, here's an opportunity. They have sick for Tandrum Caton, but I don't know it that well. So I let it go by, frustrated with myself, but then there was still, still road or Marine Parade Road. That was another exit on the way to my exit. And then I saw the sign, accident at Signal. I knew I would be in that queue until I got to the very exit that I needed just before Signal, which is Marin Vista. And I waited, watching my mirrors all the time. And then I saw bright flashing lights and driving along the shoulder of the ECP came an emergency vehicle a small fire engine and an ambulance. It made me feel sad. It made me feel sad because that meant somebody was injured. It also made me feel sad, I'll be honest, because that meant they were gonna be a long time clearing this accident. And while I was considering my predicament, suddenly I see a flash of white and a man far more powerful than me whipped past me on the shoulder chasing that ambulance and when that happens to me I have to play a mind game. I thought to myself that is an awesome ninja move. I mean that guy is so powerful. I mean I mean first of all he's got purchasing power because that was the nicest white Volvo I had ever seen in my life and secondly he had power under the bonnet not just that engine that made him fly so close behind that ambulance, but also power under this bonnet that led him to believe that whatever assignment he had was just as important as that ambulance. And I thought those thoughts until I got almost to Marindis to exit, and then I saw my friend in his big white Volvo having a conversation with a policeman who was writing him a summons for having the power, but not the authority, to drive on the shoulder. This morning, we're going to be looking at two gospel stories involving power and authority. And if you're taking notes, there's just two points. Jesus, number one, heals by the authority of his word. And number two, Jesus is moved by the power of his compassion. So let's first look at verse 1. Jesus heals by the authority of his word. Verse 1 says this. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now the fascinating thing about this gospel is Matthew's gospel has a parallel passage that uses almost identically the same language. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that inspired Luke, wrote this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Both Matthew and Luke indicate that Jesus had finished his sermon. He had finished teaching this body of dogma, but they didn't use the same word. The word finished in Matthew is the word teleo, which means just simply Jesus landed his sermon. It means he finished it. He completed. But Luke uses a di different word. 
epleruzon, which means fulfilled, fully satisfied. So in Matthew, Jesus is simply finished his sermon. But in Luke, he has faithfully completed an assignment. And now in chapter 7, he's pulling back the curtain to expose his next assignment. And we're going to see that assignment in these next two gospel stories. First of all, verse 2. Now, Centurion had a servant who was sick to the point of death and who was highly valued by him. Now, our English Bibles try to make things look a bit better for our sensitive appetites. So that word is almost always translated servant. Doulos is actually a male slave. Not a servant who was paid. It was a servant who was purchased. And yet there was something different about this centurion and his servant. And, and centurion, as many of you know, was a Roman soldier, a commander of approximately a hundred men. He was skilled in battle. And depending on the occupied territories, a man of his skills almost always had opportunity to make additional money. And we're going to find out it is this case for this particular centurion. But let's talk about that slave. Because that word, which for us is interpreted by this term highly valued, is not a term, it's not an adjective that was used about property. It was an adjective that was used about people. It literally means who was highly honored or precious. It describes a friendship, not property. So this is important. This centurion was not trying to replace his property. If he needed to do that, he could have purchased a new slave, let this one die, and purchase a new one at the slave market. But this centurion had a slave who had become a precious, highly honored friend. He was hoping to save a man who had become precious to him. So let's look at verse 3. When the centurion heard about Jesus, and what did he hear about Jesus? He heard that he was a great prophet, a man of God, who was able to heal and forgive sins, something that only God could do. This Jesus, he heard, could do. So he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to heal his servant. Now this actually tells us something additional about this particular centurion. Many scholars would say that this soldier was hired by Herodians, elders of the Jews. Herodians were religious, but mostly a political party formed to prop up Rome's puppet kings. Their relationship with Rome was merely transactional. So they would often hire Roman commanders or centurions to train Jewish guards for Herod and lead them to protect this puppet king. So this centurion had a transactional relationship with these 
Jewish elders, and he decided to leverage that relationship to help his treasured friend who he had purchased years ago and who had now become a friend to him. So in verses 4 and 5, these elders came to Jesus and they began to plead with him, earnestly saying, he, this centurion, is worthy. He's worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. Literally, the word is ethnot. He, he loves us Jews. He's a foreigner, but he has special affection for our ethnicity. He loves us, and more than that, he is the one that built us this synagogue. This foreigner is different. He's worthy. He's done good work for God's people, the Jews. And so we can see in verse 6, Jesus began to go with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion got word that the Lord was on his way. And what we can tell from this story is the elders had muddled the message. His business partners had confused what he was asking. So this time he sent his friends to go to Jesus, meet him on the way and say, Lord, please don't trouble yourself. For I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Therefore, I did not even presume to come to you. I didn't want to say, share the same holy ground as you do. But listen, say the word and let my servant be healed. By the authority of your word, let it be. Speak it and let life come. For I myself am a man who's under authority. And I have men who are under my authority. I say, go, he goes. I say to another, come, he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this. And he does it. You see, this man was unusual. He was special because he knew that Jesus, the authority of his word, exceeded the authority of his power. He had the power to order men to come and to go. But Jesus had the authority to command disease to go. He had the authority to command life to come. And he trusted Jesus to do this. They can almost imagine Jesus marveling at this word his friends had given about this man he had not seen. And he then turns to the crowd, all of whom were Jews, and says this, I tell you, not even in Jerusalem, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant fully healed by the authority of Jesus' word. Billy Graham, I'm sure many of you have known him many, many years ago, he came to Singapore. One of the most fruitful evangelists we will ever know in our lifetimes. And yet he has said this, God 
does not reward fruitfulness, but he will reward faithfulness. Why? Because fruit is evidence that God is at work. It's evidence of his work, not mine. For the fruit of our ministry, God will receive the praise of his glory. But we are rewarded for our faithfulness. This centurion was rewarded not because of his fruitful labor, not because he built a synagogue and loved the Jews. He was worthy not because of his work. He was worthy because he was faithful. Full of the faith in the man who had the authority to speak a word and things happen. The same word that made light out of darkness. The same word that spoke planets into existence. The, the word that fills empty lungs with living breath. By the authority of that word, he believed and his slave was healed. So Luke is opening up a window of revelation for his readers, for us. He was exposing a day when people of many nations would be saved, not because of their religious heritage, not because of their ethnicity, not because they had experienced Jesus doing some awe-inspiring miracle, but because they believed in the authority of his word and are healed. I love this painting. This is a painting of Jesus insisting that the doubting Thomas lean in close and feel the wound in his side. And you remember this Thomas who believed, but only by the authority of personal experience. Only when he could see Jesus and touch Jesus, only then did he say, Oh, my Lord and my God. And to this Jesus said in John 20, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. They have believed and have been transformed by the authority of my word. Well, let's move then to the next story in this gospel. Jesus is moved by the power of his compassion. We can see this in verse 11. One of the major themes in the gospels is crowds. Crowds follow Jesus everywhere. Matthew chapter four, verse 25 says, Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, and Judea, and even beyond the Jordan. And then Matthew 8, verse 18, large crowds forced Jesus, crushing him towards the lakeside so that he had to stand in a boat. And then large crowds followed him in Matthew 19 and in Matthew 20 as they were leaving Jericho. A large crowd followed him. So as we look at verse 11, Luke seems to be writing 
his gospel with a similar emphasis on crowds. Because we see in verse 11, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. But let's continue in the story in verse 12. As Jesus drew near the gates of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. Now, why would a pastor highlight of all the words being carried out? Because Luke wanted his readers to know just how dead this young man was. He was completely dead. Jesus didn't encounter this young man while his body was still warm in his bed. His funeral bier had already been paraded around the town. His body had already been anointed with funeral spices. And Jesus met him, and the great crowd was with him, also met him, as the cortege was leaving the town, coming out of the city gates, and making its way toward the burial site. And there's an additional detail. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now, I wonder if you remember back in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus telegraphed his next assignment by saying this, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. You see, my friends, Jesus was planting himself in the Old Testament story. There were many who owned slaves in Israel, but he went to a foreigner. There were many widows in Israel, but he went to this one who was losing her only son. Not only does his father love the nations who trust in the authority of his word, but he has compassion on the weak the vulnerable, the isolated. He gives justice to the fatherless, mercy to the widow. And this woman, like the widow of Zarephath, had no husband to protect her, no son to provide her. Talk about social isolation. These women had a nobody, but they had a God who was motivated by the power of his compassion. And notice this in verse 12. A considerable crowd from the town was with her. Never mind social isolation. Now there's twice the crowd. The crowd that followed Jesus toward the city and the crowd that was coming with the buyer out of the city. This was a cacophony of crowds. This is what every preacher loves. That's, that's why we find this circuit breaking so emotionally exhausting. We long to see the crowds. Can you tell I keep looking right? Because the only person I can see is Pastor Ollie. I keep looking at him preaching at this little thumbnail of, of Ollie because I long to see the crowds. 
and we, we spend secret moments in anxious prayer. Oh, Lord, will these crowds return? But Luke's message to my heart and to yours is, in the midst of this great crowd, the Lord saw her. In the midst of this milling crowd of people, I imagine some of the disciples were keeping the numbers so they could say, Master, this Sunday, this Sabbath, there was 3,000 people there. We kept the numbers because we loved the crowds. But Jesus wasn't looking at the crowds. He was looking at the individual. And friends, he looks at you. And he's moved by the power of his compassion and says to her, do not weep. We have no record that she said anything to him, that she requested anything of him. We have no record that she had great faith. It wasn't her faith that moved Jesus. It was the power of God's compassion for individuals that moved our Lord. The Lord God saw her. Jesus heard her tears. Do not weep. Now, I don't know about Singaporean boys. I grew up in Canada. And I heard this many times from my father. Stop your crying. You're a big boy. Boys don't cry. I heard this stop your weep. In fact, every once in a while, my father would say, stop your crying or I'll give you something to cry about. And you know what? I stopped my crying because my father had the authority to command my tears to stop flowing, but he could not, by the authority of his word, address the source of my pain. He couldn't address the source of my tears, but Jesus can. So verse 14 says he came up, and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. Literally, they froze in their steps. These bearers were professional mourners. They were paid to be unclean by their professional proximity to death. They were unclean. Ordinary people avoided the buyer. They grieved noisily from a distance but they sure didn't touch the buyer. They didn't want to have the stain of death on their hands. Ordinary people avoided the buyer. But Jesus is not ordinary. He is not stained by disease or by death. He's not wounded by our wounds. He is instead by his holiness contagious in Jesus Blessing and purity and life is viral. And so he says, young man, I say to you, arise. He wasn't responding to a plea from the man. He was dead. He was responding to the power of his compassion. And by the power and authority of his word, that dead man sat up and began to speak 
and Jesus returned him to his mother by the authority of his word. Breath flowed through dry lungs. Living blood rushed through his veins by the authority of Jesus' word. Dead nerves came alive. He sat up, he spoke, and was returned to his mother. This friend, especially in these days, ought to be very good news for those of us who are anxious in these days of a global pandemic. There are 7.8 billion people on this planet. 7.8 billion people living with the anxiety of a global pandemic, living with the worry and anxiety of social separation, living with the isolation and risk, and yes, even with financial ruin. Maybe right at this moment, you might be one of those. This is good news. God sees you. On this crowded, sin-sick, anxious planet, God sees you. Verses 16 and 17 says there was a response in the crowd. Fear seized them all. And I've heard preachers who are good preachers preaching the gospel will say this word fear is actually a, a reverent awe. But friends, it is far more than that. The Greek word is phobos. It is a holy, humbling terror. It is why the centurion did not want to share the same space as Jesus because he realized he was not worthy of Jesus' grace and mercy and holiness. It's the reason the prophet Isaiah, standing at his full height in the temple palace, cried out, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I serve a people who sin because he realized he was in the presence of God. This holy, humbling terror seized them all because they knew God was with them. They glorified, saying this, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. That word visited is fascinating because it doesn't just mean He's in the neighborhood walking around, knocking on doors. It's, it has medicinal meaning. It's like a doctor's visit. God has come and has offered soul care to his people. And this report, the word is lava. This word, this gospel about Jesus spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding county. Friends, this is how the gospel spreads. When someone's soul has been made alive by the authority of God's word, when someone has been seen by him, has become the object of his compassion, when the life-giving gospel enters a man, enters a woman, 
his reputation becomes viral. The word, the report, the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to spread because it cannot be contained. There is just that much joy. I don't know where you are right now. Some of you may be watching with your family, but many of you may at this moment be isolated at home with your laptop. But friend, you are not alone. The God of this gospel has seen you. By the authority of his word, he can call life into you. He can say like he did to that dead man, by the authority of my word, rise up, breathe in my spirit, be full of joyful vitality. He does it not because you're worthy. He knows where you have been. He smells the stench of death, but will not be stained by it. He draws near and desires to touch you, not by the power of our good works, but by the power of his compassion. I'd like for us to spend a few moments reflecting, just wherever you are, in your room, with your family, perhaps you're a young couple, spend some moments reflecting on these questions. How will you place yourself right now under the authority of the God who says, rise up, be healed, let life come? How will you respond? What does that look like for you? And this is biblical truth. Jesus notices you. Pastors look at the crowds, people count the numbers, but the God of glory has seen you. How can this truth bring you hope in this day? How can you fill your heart and your hopes with expectancy in these moments? Let's stand a moment Father God, we bless you that you are the God who sees us in our most anxious moments. We thank you that you are a God who speaks and by the authority of your word, life, vitality, healing comes. There are people watching our service online right now who need to hear and respond to your word of authority. God, I pray that you would equip them to be faith 
full, trusting in the authority of your word, living it out joyfully. Father, I pray that we would be reminded even now that it's not a religious performance. It's not whether we can or cannot attend church with other believers. It's not whether we can or cannot celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It is whether we can or cannot trust the power of your compassion lavished upon us. Fill us with hope, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.